Hi, this is Hope. This is Kareem. Hi, this is Katie from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to No Meat Athlete Radio. So, Matt, welcome to another episode of No Meat Athlete Radio. How's it going? It's going pretty well. I mean, we've done now two of these in, in the past three weeks or something, right? Which is better than zero in three months. So, that's right. it's something. It's progress. That is, that's, that's, that's right. That's progress. We also have a bunch of uh, interviews and some really kind of fun ones. I'm going to tease some, uh, not going to say any names, but some bigger names that uh, to know athlete radio will be coming up on the feed soon. But um, we have a couple episodes planned for you and me uh, and a couple topics planned, which to be ahead of, of our topic schedule for know athlete radio is pretty, pretty a big deal. It is. It speaks to uh, maybe a growing interest by us in in these topics again, certainly by me. I've been uh, reading a lot of books, which is actually what today's uh, episode is about. And uh, the, the secret, which is, you know, not a really secret, but just haven't really announced it yet, is that we're uh, a, a new book is in the works in the very, very early stages for, for from me uh, and Matt Tolman. Um, you know, can't really reveal details about it, but it's gotten me reading books about fitness and food again uh, and longevity in general. So... Mm-hmm. That's it's been a good thing, and it just you know when I when I do that, topics start to start to flow, ideas start to come up. So uh, all very good, and I'm excited today to dig into this one. I'm actually very excited that my mom is here in the Instagram audience because this episode in particular is about longevity and specifically about fitness and how the, the role it plays in longevity, which is a uh, at least according to Peter Atia, who is the author of the new book Outlive, uh, which is here. I keep showing it during the morning show, but haven't during Nomadathy Radio. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, he says this is the single greatest tool we have in our in our quest to live longer and have more good years. Uh, much more important even than diet, which for you know for as long as I've been doing this this uh, job, you know, being in this world, uh, diet has been like the thing. Everyone says this is this is what really matters, right? So this is different, um, and and we'll get into you know what he prescribes and and if it's if it's realistic for most people. So. Before we do start, Doug, uh, they're saying your video is a little bit fuzzy, which I'm seeing the same thing. It, it seems to improve, and then it gets worse again. It looks like you've got a lot of bars, so don't know if there's anything mm. you can do about that, uh, but just something to know. Okay. Uh, all right. Thanks for the heads up. Yeah. So anything else to get into before we before we jump in? I guess we should remind the Nomad Athlete audience that we do a morning show in the same format every weekday morning. It's on the same URL, no meat, or youtube.com slash no meat athlete. You can go there and get access to that daily show. It's not quite as you know in-depth about any one topic as this episode will be. Um, it's We tend to stay with food more than fitness. Uh, it's just a different vibe. It's fun. You know, there's a lot of a lot more jokes, a lot more corn chip talk, uh, taco talk, all that stuff. So check that out. Yeah, so we have a really good time every morning. This is going to be a little bit more serious, but... Uh... I mean, I'm glad to do both of them. So, Matt, uh, let's see. It's been a few weeks since we've done a Nomad Athlete Radio episode. What's going on? What's new with you? Anything big? Not, not a whole lot new. I mean, I'm, my life right now is always kids soccer is like the central theme. I just finished a week-long prolon fast, uh, which I haven't talked about before on Nomad Athlete Radio. We've talked about it a good bit in the last week uh, on the Plant-Based Morning Show. Sure. It's it's Walter Longo, a longevity guy whose book is also part of my research these days, which I read a long time ago, but I'm rereading. It's called The Longevity Diet. Uh, he promotes a, a, a vegan plus 
fish two to three times a week diet. Um, but he's also a big proponent of fasting, uh, not just the intermittent variety, but actually fasting. And he's got this thing called the fasting mimicking diet where for a week you eat a restricted, a calorie restricted diet. They give you some calories so that it's doable, right? It's not as hard as a five day water fast would be or something like that. And the claim is that they mimic a lot of the benefits. Unfortunately, right now, you can only get the thing, the, the system, the, the, the diet for a week. You can only get it with honey in the bars, which I don't like that that's the only choice, but uh, it is. So it's, it's a choice that I made. But apparently they might be working on making it, um, making one without honey in the bar. So I will certainly look forward to that. Uh, but anyway, I, I did that and I've been lifting weights, which has been a fun thing. I just kind of finished an eight week program, eight round of that. And now I'm starting a new one, which I will certainly refer to as we talk today. Um but yeah, that's kind of it. How about you? What's going on in your life, Doug? Well, a couple things, I guess. Uh, the big one that we've talked, you know, I feel like uh, for all of our live listeners, who many of which are, are typically on the plant-based morning show, there's going to be some repeat here, repeat topic here. So I apologize for that. But the big one for me has been, I, I just wrapped up a 21-day dry challenge that we hosted with Compliment and, and partnership with Clean Food Dirty Girl. Um and uh, that was the longest I've gone without alcohol since uh, the month before my first marathon in 2009, I believe. Um, long time. And uh, and so it's been a long, been a long time since I've gone that long without alcohol, <laughs> and and it's been remarkably easy. Honestly, it was a couple, a little, a few, uh, a few challenging moments during the first week. Uh, it's kind of breaking some habits and kind of getting to get. I don't know, mentally prepared to hang out with friends at, at bars and things without, um, without including alcohol. But other than that, it has been uh, remarkably easy. And it's something that, uh, has not only made me want to drink less in general, but also kind of do other things. It, it's like kickstarted, um, a, a drive to explore some of my other habits, which we've talked a lot about in the past is how like if you if you kind of knock one domino over a lot of them will, will follow and and I think that that's that is so cool not just about challenges but just you know if you start running more you want to start eating better if you start uh, eating better then you want to be more active you want to do more things and you know and so forth and so on so I think that like that's just uh, that's if you can take that first step in doing some sort of new challenge or some sort of new habit health habit then oftentimes several others will follow yeah. Totally agree. Rarely is uh, is some kind of commitment like that a really bad idea or one that you end up regretting. I guess every now and then it might happen, but uh, for the most part, usually a good idea to try new things. We've for for uh, how, however long we've done Nomad Athlete Radio, it might be might be thirteen years now. Uh, <laughs> we've we've talked about challenges and how just how good they uh -huh. are compared to just kind of just kind of you know staying status quo, not not exploring, not learning, not experimenting. So uh, no surprise there to longtime listeners. We like that kind of thing. And actually, uh, what we will talk about in one of these upcoming Nomad Athlete Radio episodes will be an in-depth thing on the Prolon Fast. Uh, and perhaps we'll do something for your on your 21-day dry challenge, or maybe we'll combine those into the same episode. Uh, mm -hmm. But we'll see. We'll talk more about those things in greater depth in the future. But anyway, um, for today's episode, as I said, we're going to get into this uh, Peter Atia book, Outlive, specifically his fitness prescriptions and what he says you should be doing. Um, Overview of the book. I mean, I don't know if people know Peter Atia. He's the co or the host of the Drive podcast. Uh, he's a medical doctor. He's got a background in besides M his, his MD practice now. Uh, he went to med school, but then he took a little break and went, I think, out to California and did like financial risk management type stuff. So I actually really appeal to, or a lot of his uh, approach appeals to me. 
because of this sort of quantitative uh, nature, the way he looks at stuff, the risk management aspect. Uh, that's, you know, my, my background is math as well. So I like a lot of the way he thinks and the way he assesses um, a lot of the data that people just, you know, take, uh, take on the surface and assume that it must be meaningful and important. And then if you look closer, it turns out a lot of things don't really say quite as much as uh, you think they would say. And he's not a vegan. He, he has a lot of, he's kind of like diet agnostic. He used to be keto. He's not anymore. Okay. Uh, he, actually the nutrition section of the book, honestly, is like kind of the most disappointing part for me because he wouldn't really give much advice. I mean, basically it was make sure you get enough protein and you need about three times more than the government guidelines tell us you need three times more, three times wow. more. Uh, yeah. He thinks he says study after study just shows that, uh, that there are benefits to getting that amount of protein. And specifically the main reason, I mean, he doesn't say this exactly. I don't think, but maybe he does. And I just missed it. Um, it's because he wants you to have muscle mass. Muscle mass is one of the most important factors as you age, uh, to preventing accidents, which is, you know, a leading cause of death as you get older and older. Um, so having that muscle mass is really important. And we'll get into some of the studies he talks about as to why it is so important, but that's one of the great benefits of eating lots of protein in his opinion. Uh, it's, it's different from what you hear in the plant-based world. And actually that's why it was such an enlightening thing to read a book like this by someone who's not really in our camp. Uh, right. not the easiest, you know, thing to get yourself to do, but, uh, it's worth it if, if you can. So Anyway, um, he doesn't give that much in the way of nutrition advice. The protein is the big one. Uh, he talks more about some other things, getting enough of certain fats and things, but doesn't ever say like, you know, vegetables are good or even like whole foods are good versus pot. Like if you, if you weren't, if you didn't have a lot of experience thinking about nutrition and what to eat and you picked up this book as your longevity manual, I'd feel like you'd come away with it still having really no clue what to eat. Like it'd be very easy to keep eating like this diet that you thought was sort of healthy but involves right. a lot of processed food and you, you just still keep eating it thinking it's healthy. Um, just with more protein. Yeah. Right. And I, I guess the, the message that, that would maybe enable one to do something like that. And maybe, maybe it's okay. I don't know. Um, he, he basically thinks it's because I, of what I said, like he doesn't put as much stock in a lot of these studies as people, as people do. Like even the, you know, we talked about on the morning show, the, the red meat being a carcinogen, red meat being linked to uh, colorectal cancer. Like he doesn't even quite believe that. And it's not that all his skepticism is pointed at these, you know, pro-vegan topics. It kind of sounds like I'm saying that maybe. Uh, but he's really just sort of skeptical a lot about, about a lot of nutrition science results because there are difficulties in nutrition science. Uh, no matter how you try to approach it, it's just a difficult thing to study well uh, because mostly you can't do really long-term studies with people and, and force them to eat exactly these certain foods. It's just not that easy to do. Yeah. So, uh, anyway, he, he ends up, you end up with this feeling after having read this, that like no diet advice is like, should be gospel. Like there's no food that like, you just can't eat that food if you want to be healthy ever. Right. Like there's, it's food, it's calories, it's chemicals. It's, it's, uh, and I don't mean chemicals like bad unnatural chemicals. I mean, it's, it's food made up of, of molecules and nutrients and th right. Like they all are that. And so you, you get some that are really good. You get some that aren't, aren't as helpful, but like, it's not like you only can eat this stuff and never this other stuff. It's just nothing I think is, is as black and white as, as the media perhaps makes it out to be. Uh, so that, that's one message that I guess would enable you one to keep eating some processed food, but uh, I don't know. So like I said, not my favorite part of the book, the nutrition part, but the, the, the fitness part, which we're going to get into today to me was certainly the most interesting part. So let me just start with a little bit of the, um, the motivation for this, I guess, which is the data behind how exercise has uh, can benefit longevity. And so as I said, uh, 
he says that more than any other tactic in the entire book, exercise has the greatest power to determine how you will live in the rest of your life. Study after study has found that regular exercisers live as much as a decade longer than sedentary people. And they do that because this not just reverses physical decline, but can also slow or reverse co cognitive decline. And because mm -hmm. Alzheimer's is one of the four, he calls them the four horsemen, the four big killers, where like if you can address these four things, you get longevity, right? It's, it's I mean, not, you're not guaranteed to, but if statistically, if you can not die from one of these things or prolong the period um, until which one of these things kills you, then that's how longevity comes. So he points out that 77% of our country doesn't exercise and just going from zero to 90 minutes a week can reduce the risk of all-cause mortality by 14%. But here's where it gets really, to me, so, shocking. Hold on, hold on, just yeah, a second. The, yep. the very first thing you... Uh, or the first thing you said was um, regular exercises ver exercisers versus sedentary people. Is that what you said? Yep. Do, what defines a regular exerciser? Is that the 90 minutes? No, it, it's just, he's, he's just speaking generally there. Study after study okay. has found that. Okay. Regular, so no, no specific thing, but you know, I, I'm guessing to him, a regular exerciser is someone who does 30 minutes on average per day, five okay. times a week. I'd call that probably a regular exerciser. Uh, you'll see that his what he wants you to do is much, much more than that. Mm -hmm. um, so VO2 max, he talks about VO2 max. You don't hear about that too much when we talk about longevity exercise, right? Like we're used to hearing about blue zones and like do some gardening or walk <laughs> on hilly terrain, like incorporate yeah. exercise into your life. It's, it sounds easy and joyful and like almost no effort uh, if you can just build it into the hobbies you like. That's not really how you increase your VO2 max, right? That's not the way what most of us think of when we think increase VO2 max. But he says... VO2 max may be the single most powerful marker for longevity. And there are several big studies that, that uh, you know, would, would back this up. But one in 2018 in the Journal of the American Medical Association uh, of 120,000 people, they found across the board that there was this association. The better your VO2 max, the less likely you were to die of anything uh, during, you know, whatever period you looked at. And so... For reference, he points out that smokers, they have a 40% greater risk of all-cause mortality, right? So you look at a smoker, I don't know if this is any point in their life, but uh, you know, in general, they have 40% chance of dying at any time than someone else does from all different causes, not just lung cancer, but certainly that's a big contributor to that stat. Um, this particular study, this big study, found that if you're in the just below average quartile, meaning you're in the 25 to 50 percentile range of your VO2 max, relative to other people at your age, then you have double the risk of dying compared to someone who's in that top quartile. So someone who's in the top quarter compared to someone who's just below average, uh, you've got a, a double the risk of dying. If you're in the bottom quartile, wow. bottom 25% mm -hmm. compared to someone in the top, during any given period that you're looked at, you have a four you're four times more likely to die. So that's a huge thing. And it's VO2 max, which just doesn't seem like we need that kind of fitness very often, right? You don't, you don't need that right. top end stuff. Right. It's just, but, but what that, that's a marker for all kinds of other health, right? Cause you're not going to have VO2 max if you have metabolic disease, right? You're just not going to have a good ability to do these things. So, um, what is, what does that mean? Four times more likely to die. You increase your all cause mortality by four. Is that? Yeah, that's exactly it. That, that okay. there, like, you know, your, your chance of not surviving, the period when you are being observed is oh, four times higher. Oh, okay. The period. Okay. Okay. I gotcha. Yep. And so, and they give another uh, example of very much like that. Um, let's see. Well, I, I'll get to there in just a minute when we get to muscle mass. Um, okay. But so, so that's the VO2 max number. And 
as I said before, muscle also is correlated with the same thing. In a 10-year study of 45,000 people, they found that the low muscle mass group, which I don't know exactly what that means because he didn't go into that detail, they were at 40 to 50% greater risk than the controls, which is probably just people who are of normal muscle mass. So if you have, you know, if you're considered low muscle mass, whatever that means, uh, you know, it has a significant impact. And mm. it's not just mass, but also strength. Low strength in general is being shown to have a two times risk of death from all causes. Um, and of course, you know, even though it's that's all causes, like if if having low strength when you're older, uh, let's say 20 times is or 20x multiplies your risk of dying from a fall, which I'm just making that number up, right? That could contribute so heavily that it could lead to a 2x risk of death across all factors, right? You know what I mean? Sure, it right. doesn't mean that automatically every single factor is going to be every single possible disease you have double the risk for. It just means your chances of dying uh, 2x's. Got it. So okay. um, he mentions that it may be even more important than cardio because if you were in the bottom half of the a cardio group, right, in the bottom half of, of just be the below average group of cardio, um, you have a 48%. No, even if you're in the bottom half of that, you have a 48% lower risk of death if you're in the top third of strength versus the bottom third. So muscle mass and strength can even make up for not being a good cardiovascular state, which is, these are just not the message that like right. most of us get, right? right. It seems like right. muscle going into old ages would be worthless, right? Why do you want all, this, all that extra muscle to support and have to walk around with and support with calories? Yeah. Uh, so very much not, not something I have heard before. Uh, and the final one I've got here is that he said seniors with the least muscle mass are at the greatest risk of dying from all causes. And there's this Chilean study. They had a thousand men, 400 women, and after 12 years that they were looked at, 50% of those in the lowest quartile of muscle mass were dead. Only 20% in the highest quartile were dead. So, and this is wow. this is elderly people. So, it's it's just I mean, very very different um, from what I'm used to hearing, and hence the the emphasis on protein. Uh, if you believe that protein is associated with muscle mass, and you know I'm I don't know if I am sure of that, but uh, certainly you don't want to have too little protein. If you're trying to put on muscle mass. So like I said, it's not about uh, how you should eat. This really is about how you should train. And so we good there or should we, you want to talk anywhere about that stuff um, before we get into specifically what he says you should be doing? Uh, I think I'm good there. It's just, it, it is so in such contrast of, of, I think what, what I've, you know, kind of been talking about what you've been talking about, what most people, what every article that I've ever read about fitness as you, as you age is kind of this more functional fitness and, um, you know, mobility and, and, and there is some strength and balance and stuff like that, of course, as well, but you're not talking about people doing hard workouts as they're getting older. Um, and certainly not focused on your VO2 max. Um, so like, where do you think the disconnect is from everything else we've ever heard and to, and, and this, like, how do you think we got to that point? Yeah, that's a great question. I don't know. Um, I mean, you always have to be skeptical of what makes it to the media, right? When people don't want to sure. hear something, mm -hmm. uh, it's usually not going to be a very popular news story. So mm -hmm. the idea that you have to do what it takes to maintain muscle mass as you get older, uh, I don't know. I guess people don't want to hear that. <laughs> They'd rather hear that that walking 30 minutes a couple times a week is what you need to do. Uh, so I don't know. Again, like this is just one guy. This isn't like this is consensus across the board. Uh, right. He also, I, and, and I started to kind of pick up on this as the book goes. Like he, he says many times, he's been lifting weights since he was a kid, since he was like 12 years old or something. Uh, he's he's into endurance sports. He's into uh, 
uh, race car driving, which I think is, you know, considered a sport. One of his fitness goals is to be able to keep driving this race car when he's older. Mm-hmm. Um, so like he's got an, a, a built-in bias here, right? And he probably would admit that, that like it's there and he probably needs to try to fight it. But I wonder that about a lot of stuff. I, I wonder if the, if, the thing about red meat and the protein, like, is that also built in bias, right? Is, is it just, is it as much as he tries to be unbiased? Um, it's hard. It's right. It's, it's hard to, to not favor the stuff that would support what you say. And, and there's a few spots in the book where I just wonder like why he didn't bring up this other study that also supports this thing that he kind of says there's not enough evidence for. Uh, so who really knows? Um, but I don't know. It's for me, it's, it's hard to, uh, it's hard to look past some of these, Facts, but and some of these I didn't mention all the studies. Some of them are supported by others uh, that that show very similar things. So I don't know. It's something not to ignore for sure. Uh, yeah. By the way, Anne Marie, who's here live, points out that he was on Rich Roll recently, and it was a good episode, number seven forty three. I'm pretty sure he was on Rich Roll before that as well, maybe maybe more than once. Um, hmm. But anyway, I listened to only a part of that, and then I went and bought the book and didn't ever finish the episode. Uh, but yeah, you can go check that out if you want to hear some more of Peter Atia on Rich Roll. Um, so anyway, he uh, throughout the book, he's kind of talking about like being very proactive in your approach to living longer. It's not about just being lazy or sorry, being being kind of like uh, being OK, because as I've said on the morning show a few times now, uh, it's easy to forget that like there's going to be just this pull of gravity, basically, that as you get older, it just starts pulling your fitness down. Uh, there's a you know, you start losing muscle mass, I think at something like 13 percent. No, VO2 max starts dropping uh, 13 or 10 percent per decade. Uh, as you age, like it's easy to imagine right now, like if you're really into hiking or whatever and, or tennis or whatever, and you just imagine, well, this is good because I have this hobby. I'll just keep doing that until I'm dead basically. And therefore I'll stay active as I'm older. But his, his point is that like, it's not nearly as easy to just keep doing that because the thing gets harder and harder and harder. So to maintain your level or even anything close to it, uh, is very hard. And so his approach then is you have to get really, really in good shape, in really, really good shape now if you ever want to do stuff later. So he's, he, one of his examples is he says, if you want to do some particular hike, climb, climb some particular mountain when you're 80 years old, he said, well, that's going to take this VO2 max. And if you realize that you drop 13% per decade from now until then, figure out how many decades you have and you know where do you, how good you need to be now. And, and that's why he's telling people, get yourself into the top 2.5% of people in terms of VO2 max uh, now and try to maintain that for as long as you can and stay in that group. And then when you're 80, you'll be able to do stuff that a lot of average 50 year olds can do. So top 2.5%. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> like how is your average Joe supposed to get to the top 2.5%? Well, maybe by trying at all, because you look at the state of people and you got to figure that 60% aren't even in the competition, right? They're just mm-hmm. they're And I don't mean a real competition, but I mean, it you do anything and you beat that right, more than right. half of the people. Mm-hmm. So now it's now that two and a half percent is more like ten percent of the people who are actually doing something. Uh, and maybe then with enough work and and it is a lot of work that he tells you to do, uh, you can get there despite you know whatever genetic disadvantage you may have. Because obviously there's a certain echelon where you're not going to reach it uh, without the right genetics. But uh, I don't know. His point throughout the book or throughout this section is that a lot of these these benefits and these correlations. Uh, and by the way, I'll quickly take an aside here. There is this sort of healthy user bias, I believe it's called, where the idea that like people who are exercising very often are people who are healthier to begin with. And that's why mm-hmm. they got into exercise. So you right. do have to you know, understand that and, and maybe adjust slightly down some of these benefits 
uh, knowing that these people in general will have been healthy to start, healthier to start. Uh, but I knew I was going to lose my train of thought if I if I went there, and I did. Um, yeah, I don't remember exactly where I was going, but it doesn't matter that much. Well, it's fine. Um, oh, I know what it was. It was that it was that these benefits don't seem to like level off, right? A lot of phenomena or phenomena. Uh, there's this like diminishing returns as you get nearer and nearer to the top with most of these fitness things. Uh, it doesn't really drop off that much. It's like, it just, it's like this linear relationship that just keeps going. And if you can keep getting your VO2 max higher, you have a more and more probability of, of, you know, living a good long life, uh, mm -hmm. without mm -hmm. some like huge diminishing return drop off at a certain point. So, uh, very interesting there to me that all this, just how important exercise could be for longevity. Uh, but my question is, how much is too much, and when's it not worth it? Right, uh, so right. let's get into what he actually says to do. And okay. this, more than just discussion, like I hope this can be someone's like, you know, the, the book is your manual for actually doing this stuff if you want. But if you just want to find a workout plan that's good, uh, I don't know. I mean, this kind of motivated me to like want to vary what I'm doing and, and round it out a bit. Mm -hmm. So we'll get into some specifics of exactly what you should be doing, and then we'll talk about how whether this is worth it or not uh, and whether this is, I don't know, the right advice to give people because is anyone going to actually do this much? So let's, right. let's jump in here. Um, one more bit of like, I guess, motivation that isn't, isn't, it just speaks to his approach. Uh, he says he, you should plan for a centenarian di decathlon, he calls it. And what is, what his point there is not any real decathlon with fixed events, but he says, pick the activities that you'd like to do when you were a hundred years old. Uh, and, and say what they are. And he gives a sample. He says something like, you know, hike one and a half miles on a hilly trail, get up off the floor under your own power, uh, pick up a young child from the floor, carry two five pound bags of groceries for five blocks, lift a 20 pound suitcase into the overhead compartment of a plane, balance on one leg for 30 seconds, have sex, climb four flights of stairs in three minutes, open a jar, do 30 consecutive jump rope skips. So a lot of these are very functional things that you need to do as you live. And if you can keep doing these things when you're older then you know you'll get to keep living a, a more and more full and rich life as you're older uh man when i'm 100 years old there's no way i'm carrying groceries i'm gonna have somebody caring for me that's the benefit of being old you know <laughs> yeah that's that is true uh for, for some people doug some privileged few like yourself uh that's that's you don't have to worry about that uh but anyway his point is have these kind of goals have this stuff to inspire you to me, none of that inspires me. That sounds like depressing. That like that's my goals now, right? And I'm thinking about those now instead of right. way more interesting stuff that I'm going to try to do in five years from now. Mm -hmm. uh, so that didn't do it for me. But that that I guess is is uh, you know indicative of his approach. It's like it's have this long term view, then work backwards from there and figure out where exactly you need to be now. And as you approach that, if you want to be able to do it. Um, so in, so in other in other words, it, or in order to hike or to climb three flights of stairs. Four flights of stairs. I need to be in the top two point five percent VO two max. Well, I don't. I don't think that's fair. But I do think. I do think his point would be yes. If you want to climb four flights of stairs in three minutes when you're that age, then you, you need can to figure out. Yeah. Yeah. What, right. And it's and it's not just because the average person cannot do that when that that age. That's his point. Right. right. And and very few people, I guess, can. And I don't know if this is specifically for hundred year olds. He calls it the centenarian decathlon. Um, but yeah, I mean, when he's setting these goals, these are these are things that that most people cannot do. So therefore, his conclusion, and I don't even know if this is necessarily accurate. Like, do people, if you're getting really good shape at at seventy, say, or or at 
basically does being in really good shape at one age, does that correlate a lot to being in that in, in a similar level of shape, although, you know, down a notch 20 years later, or do a lot of people like get in really great shape at 50 and then burn out because they did way too much stuff and then just, you know, stop. Like, like you could work. Really well, I mean, hard. you see, you see that certainly with like 30 year olds who then, you know, people who are or 50 year olds who, you know, 10 years ago were in great shape or right. uh 40 year olds who 10 years ago were in great shape and were super active. And now, now they got a big beer gut and, uh, you know, just, eat junk and can't do any of that stuff anymore you know uh so, so what happens but but compared to 30 year olds who were in really bad shape already right they're probably better by the time they're 50 than than the person who already was starting in a bad place sure uh, that, so oh, anyway. definitely yeah yeah so that's his idea is that you're you get in shape now and you maintain it uh so finally let's get to these specifics number one zone two training and there are four components here that i've sort of narrowed this down to uh mm -hmm. zone two training most of us are not a stranger to zone two training it's what it's it's easy running when you go out and run at a conversational pace. Heart rate, he says, between seventy and eighty-five percent of your max. Uh, eighty-five seems a little high here to me, but he's he's mostly talking about your lactic acid threshold, and you can measure that. He he measures all kinds of stuff with in his life, uh, and you know he says it's going to end up being in this seventy to eighty-five zone. So you need whatever method you like for figuring out what your zone two actually is. Um, he says that someone brand new to this will benefit from two thirty-minute sessions per week. But if for most people, once you've, once you've gotten going, you're going to need three hours per week of this, four, hour, four sessions of 45 minutes. Uh, and he personally does four times one hour on the stationary bike. So this much is, is okay, right? Like we, we can imagine ourselves doing this. Most of us yeah. have done this for some period, maybe mm -hmm. do it now. It's still a lot. Four 45-minute sessions, it, this is boring running. This isn't your your fun kind of running when you're, you're moving at a pace that feels like you're doing something. So you pass the time with podcasts or meditating or whatever. Um, but that's that's something we can do. Next, VO2 max training. This is where you actually improve your VO2 max. The zone two work will improve that VO2 max, uh, but to dedicate training to it, that's how you actually improve it. He points out again this stat that I said, 10% decline per decade in VO2 max automatically and up to 15% per decade after age 50. So it will begin dropping off. Um, and elderly people can improve by 13% in just eight to 10 weeks of training or 17% in six months to a year. Uh, and he points out that there aren't studies that go longer than this, but uh, for multiple years, that's where the real potential is of, of getting big improvements to your numbers um, to put you on, on a good track as you get older. So how do you train your VO2 max specifically in addition to the zone two? He says do it once or twice per week. And the tried and true formula for him, four minutes of very hard running, like the hardest you can sustain for four minutes, followed by four minutes of easy, where you try to get your heart rate back down to 100. And then you repeat that little cycle four to six times, plus you got to warm up and cool down. So this is your hard workout, but not like the total gut busting, like awful want to puke workout. Yeah. But, you know, it's difficult running. And most people aren't, aren't going to do this, even if they're like a pretty... Well, I shouldn't say serious, but if you're if you're a recreational casual runner, most people are not really thinking about doing workouts per se. And this is uh, he recommends running, not some other activity. It's cycling, whatever is fine too. Um, mm -hmm. I think he's more a cyclist than a runner. He, I'm sure he likes the the impact of of running. Most people probably don't like the impact, but the the impact on your bones is a good thing as long as you're doing mm -hmm. it in with correct form. Right. Okay. All right. So now we've got what to me seems like a. Pretty full training plan. 
right? Like, yeah. And like, this is on top of, so, so, all right. So if we're, if we're doing just those two things, let's just recap so we can tally everything up here. Yep. We got four times 45 minutes of uh, zone two training. So that's four days a week. You're doing uh, zone two training three hours total per week. Then yep. you also have um, one to two uh, VO2 max training. And so if you're doing four by four, that's like 45 minutes, 40 minutes of, tra- of uh, zone two training. You right? get the rest in there as well. Right. Mm-hmm. So you have eight minutes times either four or six, plus mm-hmm. you got to warm up, cool down. And that, that's an hour long workout when you. An hour long workout. Okay. So we're, we're, we're talking about four hours right now and five to six days, unless you're doubling. And that's, that's only if you did or, one. Can right? you do two you, days or not? Yeah. Well, you have to eventually. You'll, you'll hear. Uh, so we're you know, actually more than that. Right. He says, because he says three hours is the minimum for the zone two. Okay. So you can certainly do more. And then this VO2 max workout is once or twice per week. So mm-hmm. now we're looking at between four and six hours, basically is yeah. probably the reason. So okay. this is, this is getting to be a decent amount of time out there running. Uh, then of course you got strength training. You can't ever look that, um, muscle mass, strength, bone, mineral density, also important. And the way to get that is to be under, uh, you know, under a load. Uh, and that's, that's a good thing for the most part for your muscles. Mm-hmm. Uh, he says get enough protein and calories, of course, to support this muscle growth. Uh, he doesn't really give specific like workouts to do. So I don't have a way of saying how, how much this has to be. Uh, he mentions carrying things, not just doing like weight workouts, but actually carrying. He's mm-hmm. a big fan of rucking where you go out in the woods with a backpack on and it's loaded with weight and stuff. I mean, I, I can't imagine ever rucking in my life. Even one time, I'm never going to do that activity. <laughs> I will tell you that right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all for the weighted kettlebell. What carry. about, what about a rucking and, uh, cattle, kayaking or paddleboarding. Oh, good. Yeah, that'd be perfect. And then can I camp at night and not take a shower? Yeah, I was, and... I was, actually, that's what I was hoping. I was going to invite you to do that with me this weekend. <laughs> I mean, the only thing that, I mean, as great as being outdoors sounds in the woods with nothing to do, doing it with 40 pounds on my back or whatever uh, just sounds amazing to, to also have to carry that load around <laughs> the entire time. So I'm not going to be doing any rucking. I can do carrying. I do sometimes kettlebell carries. He, he gives you some standard for like every, be able to hold something for a minute. I think it's half your body weight in each hand for a minute, uh, which is pretty hard. It takes a lot of grip half strength to do that. Yeah. Uh-huh. And grip strength is one of these big uh, stand-ins really for strength, a proxy for strength that a lot of times they will just measure grip strength to sort of get a sense of somebody's overall strength. Um, but it turns out even beyond being a proxy for strength, grip, tre- grip strength in, in particular is associated with longer life because it helps you avoid a lot of bad situations, basically, right? Where you have to hold on to something, grab something quickly, mm-hmm. uh, do tasks. So grip strength, particularly is something to train, not, not necessarily on its own, but do exercises like a deadlift where you, your grip becomes a limiting factor sometimes, uh, or like a dead hang on a bar for as long as you can. That's another mm-hmm. way to train your grip. So he's got all this stuff. Um, he says concentric and eccentric movements, which is the meaning the, the raising and the lowering of the weight. Make sure you focus on both of those things. Uh, pulling, meaning, you know, vertical pulls like pull-ups, horizontal pulls like rows. Uh, that's very important. He doesn't specifically mention pushing. So I'm guessing that pulling itself is, is in his eyes, much more important for longevity, that being able to do that movement, uh, perhaps to get yourself out of difficult situations, get yourself up when you've fallen, maybe, um, Although you do need kind of a push movement to get yourself up, but uh, and then finally the hip hinge, which is the deadlift is the classic hip hinge movement. A kettlebell swing would also hit it. Uh, squats does some hip hinging as well. 
So these are the big movements he talks about doing. He doesn't give a workout or how long to work out or anything like that. But you have to imagine to hit all this stuff is another four 45-minute sessions per week. Probably, Doug. I don't know. I mean, something something like that. It's almost like whatever you He wants got, you to hit every like single one of those four times a week? No, I, no, he doesn't say. I'm just saying if you're supposed to do all these things, mm-hmm. to build a program that has all that, I mean, right. <laughs> unless you're just hitting everything once a week, which is maybe sustainable, but I, I have a feeling that's that's not the idea. So I wish he did tell us how often to do those things. Um, so that's that's strength training. And then finally, stability, which is kind of more what we think about is how, how should you exercise as you get older? Right. This is breath, mobility, form. It's basically making yourself so that you are are anti-fragile to injuries, so that you can you can not get injured. Because the injury, once you reach a certain age, uh, very soon, it can be the de- thing that causes the decline, and, and then that's it. Right? You break a hip or something, you're it's, it's hard to bounce back from that. Uh, and, and the death rates in the following months are, are not good at all. So he says this, he spends an hour twice a week on like stability, mobility, whatever stuff, and then 10 to 15 minutes all the other days. So, and that's just him. He doesn't say to do that, but that's okay. He's giving his example. So that would, so, that would be, that would be what like yoga. That would be some, uh, some like, I don't, I don't even know some, just mobility, uh, stretching yeah. type things. I think any of that fits in there. Right? He wants you to be pretty deliberate and targeted and like spotting weak points, spotting injuries, you know, and like mm-hmm. being really conscious about the way you breathe, not just you know, not, not breathing in a, in a bad way, but, but one that is proper. Uh, he talks about being barefoot and, you know, feeling all four corners of each foot on the ground. So like, it's all that kind of stuff. And honestly, that section of the book also is a little weak to me. It's not supported by very much in the way of science or anything. It's just kind of mm-hmm. someone he knows who he works with and he talks about her methods. Uh, so I, I'm not convinced too much about that stuff, but certainly because that's such tried, not trying to such common ex- advice for fitness as you age, uh, you do have to imagine that that's very important. And especially right. if you're doing all this other stuff, uh, making sure you're doing it in a way that's not going to injure you is, is super important. So he talked about, he sets up his phone every single time he works out and films his squat and looks at the videos in between sets to make sure he's kind of doing stuff right. Uh, I think this dude just has an, has a workout addiction and is trying to justify it. By well, it. <laughs> he, the, the last section of the book actually is, is an interesting one. It's about emotional health. And he talks all about like very candidly uh, about how he had to check into this, this place during COVID for like a, a three week, two week period or something. And then later go back for like a month somewhere else. Uh, to handle this like perfectionism obsession over stuff and, and, you know, being unhappy basically in the rest of his life. So he does acknowledge that like he has an obsession with this stuff and he got to the point where he was one, I think his therapist said like, you have this obsession with living longer, but you're miserable while miserable while you're doing it. They're like, why Mm -hmm. do you even want to live longer if you're not happy? Uh, So certainly he acknowledges that the problem, like I said, I I do wonder like this stuff just seems like, I don't know. I mean, if you're really into sports and you're really into fitness, it is possible you'd fill your week with this kind of activity. If you're just like a fitness nut. Uh, but it's hard to imagine doing this for 40 or 50 years. I mean, it's oh, just definitely. <laughs> so, so, all right. So before we move on to that, let's tally this up again. So we were at, um, with, with VO2 and zone two, we were four to six hours. So four to six. Yep. Um, let's say, let's say you're super efficient with your strength training since he's not super very specific about it let's say you're you're pretty um efficient and um and do 30 minutes 
four times a week or three times a week. You think we can do it in three times a week? Yeah, do it four, so it's two hours. So two more hours. Okay, two hours. So uh, so now we're up to six to eight hours plus um, two hours of of uh, stability work. Um, so that's eight to ten hours plus, plus so that fifteen just, minutes a day. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's another another hour. So we're talking nine to eleven hours of uh, of training. Yeah. Per week. Yeah. And and so, I mean, it doesn't sound like that much when you when we put. Right, it I know that actually hours. doesn't sound as bad. <laughs> yeah. No, and so that's that's an hour to an hour and a half a day, or an hour and fifteen hour and a half a day. Mm-hmm. Uh, only really the zone two, I guess the stability might be kind of easy. Or the other stuff's not easy. That's the thing. VO two max, that that's right. a pretty tough hour, uh, and the strength training is is never easy. So like today, I was doing my workouts. And and it's it's a fitness program. I've enjoyed it. It's it's strength training only. Um, I reached the end of eight weeks, and I just like increased the weights, and I'm kind of excited to like do a little more compress the rest period, make this a, a really good eight week session. But then I was thinking, I was like, I can't add anything else onto this. Like, I'm not gonna like I, if I have an off day, I'm not gonna go do VO2 max training during that during that. Like, there's yeah, I just need that day to not not do that. Right. Uh, and maybe that's a weakness on my part, and I could get past that, and and maybe not need <laughs> right. But it's like, I, I was thinking about this. I, most times in my life when I've been doing fitness, I've been doing one of these things, maybe two. And I'd say mm-hmm. that's, mm-hmm. And, and when I'm doing that, I feel pretty good. Like, I feel like this weight thing is like a bright spot in my life right now for how good my workouts are. So it's hard to imagine. And this is the hard part for me. What makes this sustainable for me, and we've talked about this issue plenty of times. Mm-hmm. What makes something like that sustainable is when you are actually focused on it and you're growing in that area and you think about it a lot because it's it's a focus and that's how i am with the weight training right now you're that way with ultra running when you're when you are training for a certain race maybe even when not but you want to sort of expand what you can do in that particular area and you want to go deeper into it and so that's exactly the the roadblock i came today i was wanting to expand this lifting at the same time i read this book over the past couple weeks and i thought i also want to get all this other stuff going and it's like, I can't do all those things. I need to either like mail it in with all these things or I need to pick one and like actually care about it and enjoy it. So I don't know what to do. I honestly don't. I don't know how yeah. to get all that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, totally. Um, I mean, you think about, so like, let's say, let's say you're, you're, you're going back to training for Boston. You're, you're training for a, an intense marathon. You're a marathon PR you're, you're doing a 16 week program. That is your ideal training program, right? You're going to have, uh, three to four zone two runs per week on the, on the calendar. Probably mm-hmm. you're going to have, um, one to two, uh, VO two max training efforts or something similar, yeah. some sort of uh, yep. you know, that, be part track of workout training. Right. So that would be, you know, you're kind of, we're kind of in line here. There'd be a little bit of strength training in there. Probably not, uh, four times a week, but no rucking you know, probably probably not going rucking. You're not going that. rucking, but you might be doing some, some, some intentional strength training. Yeah. And it might be a lot of body weight or something like that. Yeah. And then, you know, and then on your off day, you might be doing a little bit of mobility work. So Drew. you're probably touching on all those things, but no one, at least unless you're elite marathoner, right? I mean, you know, most of the time you're not doing those intense training cycles repeatedly right. yeah. forever for like the rest of your life. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, you're going through one, maybe two a year. Uh, if, if that's your thing 
And, uh, and then those are like your ramp up periods and it's not designed necessarily to be sustainable forever. Right. Yeah. That's the thing, right? Like I, I did that for six months and that's, that's all I ever did that for. And, and I didn't do it that well. Right. Like I wasn't very consistent with the stability, with the stability work or mobility mm -hmm. work. And I certainly wasn't that consistent with the strength training. So I did two of those things intensely for six months. And that's to me is like maybe the hardest I'll ever work as far as athletic training. It was, it was yeah. a peak as far as intensity. Uh, so I don't know. And, and that, I guess that gets to my bigger point. Like you and I by no means are elite athletes, but we've still done more than I would say 95% of people to be, I think on a pretty safe side, as far as how many races, sure. how far you've run, how much percentage of your adult life you've dedicated to fitness in terms of hours. Mm -hmm. right? Like it, we're, we're not crazy fitness nuts, but like it's still our life. I mean, we're I mean, or yeah. a big part of our life. So what about someone who, who is, you know, average or much worse, way out of shape, just doesn't even know how to approach exercise. Like, what do you tell them? I guess like anything's better than nothing or the 90 minutes thing is how you get started. Mm -hmm. But it's just like, I just don't, I, I don't know if giving this much advice is doing any better than telling someone. And this is, this is what doctors do. MDs, right. They tell exactly what they believe is the truth. The and ideal, he believes, right? yeah, yeah. And he believes this is the truth. This is the ideal. And it's up to the patient to comply with it rather than adjusting it down and saying, Hey, do this. Cause this is what you can probably get done and you'll probably sustain. So I'm not faulting him. I understand why he's doing mm -hmm. it, but, and, and he's not trying to write the book that's saying, here's going to get the most people in shape as possible. It's, right. it's right. What, what can you do? That's the best. Uh, but man, I just don't know how to even approach it. And, and like I said, I'm someone who thinks who, who is fairly comfortable with fitness stuff mm -hmm. and, and to imagine doing this or telling my mom, she, this is what you have to start doing. Like, I don't know. It's just, it's just, I don't even know how to begin that. Yeah. Right. I, I think you should do a 30 day, 30 days of this workout. And see how it feels. I mean, like we said, it's not that long, but here's right. the thing. If, you, if you're going to have something like a day off, which I hope you can, let's say you build one day off, then whatever our hours, what do we say? 11 to 14. Now we're talking about two hours per day mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. at least. And that's, and that's a lot. Yeah, yeah, I've never worked out two hours a day on average for more than a, a couple of weeks, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. N neither have I. Yeah. Now, I, as we were talking here, I thought maybe maybe you could do what is is honestly what I have done a lot more than this, which is alternate between these things. You can get right. really into zone two training for a couple of months and then, you know, do some speed workouts for a while. And I've done that. I've gone back and forth between those things. Get into strength training for a year. Come back into the other one. So, I mean, this is certainly a good thing, right? You don't lose everything when you when you switch gears like that, mm -hmm. but you also don't make steady progress towards any of them. And I think he kind of wants you having steady progress towards all these things. So, so all right, anyway. a couple, a couple of logistics questions that you may or may not have the answer to. Um, is there, is there a path to like build up to this? I mean, do, do, do you start at 30 minutes a day of all these things or is it? No. Really and and I, I'm sure he would have liked to provide that, but the book's already 410 pages long. <laughs> okay. so it's like, yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah, I mean, it's just you just can't. Uh, he does and have then, some videos on his site. He says that I haven't looked at. But okay. I think that's more form. And then, uh, is there a path down from this, right? Because you're not 90 years old and doing all this, uh, working out 11 hours a week. Right? Yeah, no, there's not, and and that would be nice to see what you're supposed to do. Because I I wondered that mm -hmm. as well. Uh, like like yes, there's this 15% decline in in VO2 max as you get older, but that's probably for someone who's not doing VO2 max training. So right. Can't like, can you expect that number to just stay where it is as you get older? Like, is the point to prevent it from dropping at all? 
And if so, do you have to just keep this up the whole time? I think he is probably saying this is across ages. Like you're just supposed to keep doing this, right? And it's going to change your, the amount of work you get done in right. a in a VO2 right. max workout is going to change between age 50 and age 80. Right. But you could still be going for four minutes as hard as you're able to get, you know, to, uh -huh. to handle it for that time. Uh -huh. So I don't know. It's certainly a nice picture to imagine being able to do this stuff when you're 80, right? And and I don't doubt that if you could sustain this and avoid burnout, which is a huge, huge thing, uh, that you'd be in great shape as an older person, right? Yeah, Just, of course. Yeah. You can imagine that this would hold off a whole lot of illnesses, a whole lot of falls and things that cause things, as long as you don't get injured in the process, which is why he's got the stability section in there. As uh, as Kate points out uh, over on YouTube, uh, the path down is is when you're out rucking, trip over a root and break your hip. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Right. But I guess his his kind of argument there would be is if you're not in shape for this stuff, then right. then you can't go rucking. And and mm -hmm. that and if you do try, that's when you're gonna break a hip. And and mm -hmm. if you actually ha have you know a bunch of experience doing whatever your thing is, whether it's cross country skiing or running or whatever, you're gonna be good and hopefully not have those injuries um so yeah i don't know it'd be nice to hear hear what he says maybe he didn't intend for it to be interpreted the way we are uh but i don't know i just maybe we should have a month for a follow-up we could he'd out science us that's the thing he would like he, he'd be he'd be so much more well-versed in science and things that we we would lose a debate i'm positive Oh, I mean, uh, I mean, my, my uh, I mean, my questions are just around like practicality. Yeah, that's you know, it. and so like yeah. the science is the science is one thing, right? Like I'm not arguing with the science necessarily. Yeah, uh, no, no, right, of course not. But just like, like realistically, how how can I do this? I think he'd be very open to that conversation, not necessarily with us, but to the conversation <laughs> uh, because of the last chapter, which where he seems to have seen the light uh, in 2020 and 2021, maybe, and started to realize it's not about this and that's that's the final question i wanted to ask like you hear the objection a lot my dad actually said this when i was a kid and, I, and I'm, I'm glad i didn't take it to heart because it wouldn't have been good advice but he said like look at these people out here like running like all the time like if you add up all the hours that they spend out there running they're they're extending their life by 10 years sure but they probably spent more than 10 years running and uh -huh. you know so it's it's not worth it uh and he wasn't saying don't run don't be in shape but he was just yeah. saying you get these people who are fitness nuts and right. that's, you know, you got a question, is it worth it? Uh, now, obviously, you can get to a point, if you're not there from the start, where you actually enjoy this stuff. It feels good to do this stuff. And perhaps, you know, the hour after, while I'm weightlifting may not be fun, but the three hours after that, I feel really good about a lot of stuff, right? Endorphins, all kinds of stuff happen. So there are benefits that happen besides just the the extra years to your life or the quality of those years. Um, but I don't know. I just, I just wondered like, but well, we got 10 hours a week. How many hours are in a week, Doug? Something like uh, 168 or something like that. So we're talking about 10% of your time and probably 20% of your, your waking time. No, not that much. 15% of your waking time, maybe uh, filled with fitness activities. If you're miserable during these fitness activities, that's not really worth it, right? It's not really worth expanding, spending <laughs> no. your life by five or ten percent. No, of course not. But right. if you can actually enjoy this stuff, and that's the point, you shouldn't be miserable doing these things. Mm -hmm. uh, then, then it would be. But I don't know. I just, I, I can't imagine myself as much as I've been a fitness guy forever. Uh, I cannot imagine myself doing this much stuff and feeling like my life is fulfilled and balanced, and that this isn't a constant nag on my ability to drain on my ability to go like relax mm -hmm. and have fun for some time. Mm -hmm. uh, and maybe he's maybe he would say that's fine to take some time off but i don't know 
There's a lot I want to be doing besides fitness. Sure. And there's not that many hours in the day. You know what this, this is making me think a lot about, um, is, uh, is kind of the category categorizing these four and seeing if I can be better, more intentional about getting all four in every week. Yeah. Right. That, and um, I think that's the conclusion, you know, that's because, true. because right now, uh, I, I would say 85 to 90% of my exercising is the zone two workouts. So then just regular trail runs and then a bit of strength training and the pull, my pull up work, you know, but that is very limited to a single motion of the pool. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and that's grip about strength it. in there. Yep, grip strength in there. Okay, yeah. Uh -huh. Maybe some ab work. I do some hanging and like lift and right. do a little ab work. But um, but okay. it, uh, you know, but that that's it, right? I'm not I'm not uh, doing any sort of stability mobility work at the moment. Um, you know, I'm not. I'm. I mean, I'm sure that there are some runs where I kind of get out of zone two, but um, you know, I'm not doing a lot of like VO2 max training or anything like that, and so how could I look at these four categories and think about hitting all of them every week, maybe mul multiple times a week? Yeah. I think that's the perfect conclusion to have. Uh, and you have to let go of perfectionism, right? Cause I want to like check all these boxes now, but you're not going to get all these boxes, but could I get two zone two runs in, in my mm -hmm. three days that I don't, cause the workout's only four days a week, get two zone two runs in there and maybe one, uh, one VO two max day, either done with, because I have a kettlebell workout that it will do the same thing and take only 15 minutes uh, or the running. That, and like I said, that running is not awful to do that. It feels kind of good to find a hill to run up for four minutes and yeah. then run back down. That's a mm -hmm. workout you come in feeling great from. So yeah, that's, that's the thing. And, and can you add those things without making it seem like so much as you just want to quit? Because that's my problem over the years. Because I do mm -hmm. stuff and then I get more and more into it and then it suddenly is too much and I just, I just crash and then I stop. Right. So that's the that's the concern for me, the risk. Uh, but yeah, you're right. That's that's the question. Can can you add a little bit of this stuff? And, and maybe I don't know for sure. Maybe I guess what I said earlier about the linear uh, results that you get, where like it appears that there's not a leveling off. Maybe that also means there's not the eighty twenty effect in place, where you do a little bit of it and you get a whole bunch of the benefit just from kind of beginning. Mm -hmm. They're probably uh, those things are probably mutually exclusive. But you have to imagine there's some benefit just to doing something. Um, so I hopefully you could get get a lot by doing something. I mean, there has to be right, and if you're if you're able to kind of maintain hitting all four of those for the next fifteen years, right? I mean, you're certainly going to be better off than than not. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, um. yeah. So there you go. Not not quite as easy as we've been making working out seem. Mm -mm. Doug, we say I really uh, quite liked our, our going on daily walks and doing a bit of gardening. Yeah, or so do I one minute live. of push-ups each day and like just add, yeah, add yeah. a little bit uh -huh. every week. Uh -huh. Yeah, I kind of <laughs> liked that approach a lot better. <laughs> yeah. Sarah Slemp, I saw, points out that an asteroid is coming before we hit 100 years old. Uh, it's possible. It seems unlikely, <laughs> just given that we've made it for a long time without any asteroids hitting. The, the odds of them coming in any 50-year period or 60-year period or whatever is pretty low. But you never know. know. We we know that one's coming in twenty years. It might miss by only uh, I forget how much, four hundred miles or half a mile or something. Half a mile? <laughs> no, I don't think that's right. <laughs> I think it's like all like the same. 4, in outer space, I, it means the same thing to me basically. If it's a half mile away or four hundred miles away, zero difference. <laughs> that would be like 
that'd be like a helicopter, <laughs> <laughs> like like that 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 far away from you, and the, the helicopter that point. flies overhead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, good. Well, uh, hopefully, people got a little bit of an idea here, or at least a little bit of motivation, or a, a kick in the ass that says, "Get out there and do something." Mm-hmm. Uh, my mom says she's ready. That's good because she's going to start all these. We'll see how that goes. And I'm kind of ready too. Like I, I kind of want to write my own plan, thinking about those four categories and thinking about his his top level advice. Mm-hmm. And kind of write my own thing for you know for four to six weeks or something like that, and uh, and see how it goes and see like see how that feels and and maybe even see what kind of body transformations happen because I'm going to be doing a lot of exercises that I'm not I don't typically do. You know. Yeah, I'd like to see the minimalist guide to this, right? The minimalist version written by him or somebody else that says uh-huh. this hits everything and does it pretty well. And it does it in uh, an average of 45 minutes a day. Yeah. That, that would be, I mean, that sounds like plenty to do for the rest of your life. If you, if you had a 45 minute a day plan, you did it every day. Oh, yeah. Totally. Totally. Yeah. So, you know, I think there's a lot of good here. I, I hope we didn't come off as saying this guy is full of it and it doesn't, I mean, we said what, what maybe some of the built-in biases he has might be, uh, but I think there's really good stuff here. It's just, it's just, how do you, how do you do all of it? And, and obviously you can't, you can't do all of all of the things that would possibly improve your longevity. And this is just mm-hmm. one area. There's a lot of areas and you can't do everything. Um, so you need to, you need to make choices and prioritize things. Uh, so I, I think this is, it was a great book. I really enjoyed it. Uh, I'd recommend it to anybody. Uh, How old is he? Did he say? He, I'm sure he did. I'd forget. I, I have a sense he's about 50. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, all right. Good. Well, it feels good to be doing no Me athlete radio episodes again. Like we said, we've got some plans for some future topics. So we'll try to do a new one here. I don't know if it'll be two weeks or in that range, maybe one week, who knows? Um, mm-hmm. But we will we'll keep doing these. Again, don't forget to check out the Plant-Based Morning Show. We do it every day. We didn't mention before that there's a podcast for that as well. You can find it on iTunes, Spotify, anywhere else, just called Plant-Based Morning Show. And uh, of course, youtube.com slash You can go there. You can like this video. You can subscribe to things. Uh, you can click on the bell to get all the notifications. All those things are really good. So please, please do those support what we're trying to do because we're trying to get back to this. And I think, I think we're not far from uh, getting back to what, what was so good about Nomad Athlete Radio during uh, the years when we were really consistent with it. That's right. All right. All right. Thanks for everybody who joined live and thanks for everyone who's listening in. Sounds good. Recording. All right. We'll see you soon. Talk to you later.